given me and, and blessed me with and taking my talents and, and trying to glorify him through through uh, my passions and my talents. Because so. we need Christians whose faith is alive right now. God doesn't ask for anything in return from us. He just wants us to trust him and believe that, you know, he is the Almighty and sent his son Jesus here down the cross to forgive us of our sins. I'd rather share a Bible verse on Sunday morning with an audience of 100 than just try to sell products and not make any difference at all to an audience of a million. And then it's like, well, that's settled. Let's go. <laughs> we sit back and we, we develop this envious jealousy inside of us because somebody else is living the life that we want while we sit down and don't do anything about it. Get out. Go enjoy it. And then, of course, you know, you and I would say, get in the woods! Hello again, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of the Rise to Leap podcast. My name is Tyler Pruitt, and I first of all want to thank you for listening to the show today. The Rise to Leap podcast exists to be a resource for those who love God, freedom, and the great outdoors, and that is exactly what I want the focus of this show to be about. And it's those three things, God, freedom, great outdoors. On this show so far, we have been blessed with some incredible guests of guys like Travis T-Bone Turner, Bud Fisher catching deers, uh, John Eldridge, um, just to name a few here recently. And in the past, we've had Jeff Danker on, Dr. Carl Miller. I mean, some pretty incredible people from all across the country with some weight to their names in the hunting industry and outdoor industry. So I'm definitely glad to be able to have this platform as the Rice Kelly Podcast where I can share these conversations and the stories and the ideas that I have with people like those mentioned and of course I just have guys on who may not be so well known but the cool thing about it is that we all have the same kind of passion and that is of course for our faith our faith in Christ and our love for getting outside and hunting and fishing and just being out out in the outdoors so we all have that same passion and that's what I love about having this platform if this is your first time listening to the Rice Glee podcast I want to thank you for joining me today if this is a return trip for you Thank you for continuing to listen to the Rice Elite podcast, and I definitely appreciate your loyalty. This show literally would not exist if it wasn't for you guys, so I definitely appreciate the continued support that you guys constantly give, and I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart, so thank you so much. If you haven't reached out to me on social media yet, I want to ask you that you go ahead and do that. I'm on Instagram at the handle at Eat. So it's all lowercase, all together, at Rice Hill Eat. You can find me there. I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com slash RKE, a field. Okay, so that's RKE as in Rice Hill Eat, a field. So that's Instagram and Facebook. And I recently have jumped into the world of Parler. So I know Parler is a newer social media outlet where free speech is a guarantee. And that's definitely something that as a freedom loving American, I can certainly appreciate. So I have recently made a parlor account for the Rice Kelly podcast. So you guys, those of you guys that are already on there, you guys can jump on there, follow the Rice Kelly podcast on there. I haven't done a whole lot with it yet, but I'm still trying to figure out the logistics and how everything kind of works with it. And I'd definitely be adding that into the social media outlets as far as the Rice Kelly podcast goes. Now today I am joined by Mike and Paul of Hunter's Blend Coffee. They are two of the three brothers-in-law that 
work together and own this business, Hunter's Blend Coffee. And Mike and Paula, they are incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to hunting and then incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to making delicious coffee. I had the opportunity to, to try some of Hunter's Blend Coffee, as you guys are going to be able to hear in this episode. And I really enjoyed it. I am a avid coffee drinker and I love a good cup of coffee. And I really like what Mike and Paul have put together with Hunter's Blend Coffee. And I definitely suggest you guys check it out. If you are interested in checking out Hunter's Blend Coffee, you guys can use the link in the show notes below where you're going to get 10% off of Hunter's Blend Coffee. Okay. That link is going to give you 10% off on your order of the Hunter's Blend Coffee. And I know you guys are going to enjoy that. Anybody who is a coffee drinker, you guys are going to like what Mike and Paul have put together. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into my conversation with Mike and Paul of Hunter's Blend Coffee. This is episode number 60 of the Rice Killy Podcast. All right, we'll get started here. So I'm sitting here with Mike and Paul of Hunter's Blend Coffee. I appreciate you guys taking some time out of your evening tonight to be on the Rice Killy Podcast with me as a avid coffee drinker. I'm excited to be able to talk with you guys and pick your brains about the the coffee making process and of course being able to talk with you guys about hunting as well. So thank you guys for being on the Rice Killy Podcast with me. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be with you. No problem at all. It's certainly my pleasure. And uh, again, I thank you. Actually, I first heard about your all's brand whenever I talked to Joe Goche. He's got the Revelation Outdoors Waterfowl Ministry down in Louisiana. Yeah. You guys do some partnership work with them. And um, I was doing a little bit of research on his website as I was kind of preparing for for my chat with Joe. And I saw you guys on there know uh doing some promotional stuff with them and i was like man i gotta check these guys out so of course we started talking and um, i've had the privilege of being able to try out some of your all's coffee and it is absolutely delicious so thank you guys for that and uh again i certainly appreciate you uh being on the on the show with me this is this is great to be able to talk with you guys well, Paul's the one to uh, thank for the flavor. He's the importer and the roaster <laughs> and the, the mad scientist that puts it all together. My my favorite Bible verse is, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you got a good cup of coffee in your hand, you know there's a good God. You know? <laughs> That's right. That's right. I, I like that. <laughs> so uh, Mike was kind of telling me beforehand, Paul, that you do some uh, mission work or you were doing some mission work. And that's kind of, of course, what led up to this. So. Going back 15, 20 years or so, uh, what what was that kind of that mission work and church work like for you? Yeah, um, I actually started a uh, a youth discipleship training thing. We take kids out of uh, first year or two of college age, 19, 20 year olds, and we did like a a discipleship training school where they learn about themselves, learn about relationships with other people, conflict resolution, uh, how to, how to, uh, you know, just love the Lord and love people because kind of, uh, and then a lot of them would go on to, uh, college and careers, but they always did nine months in a country, uh, somewhere in the world. So I was traveling a lot. And uh, this was back in 93 to 96, and, and that's 1992 to <laughs> 96. And then 
moved into with this mission organization, their long-term mission directing. I have a MA or a, a master's of arts in missiology, which is theology, missions, anthropology type courses. Just uh, letting people tell you how they want to uh, be reached, I guess you might say, and, mm -hmm. and letting people discover their own problems. Rather than saying everybody that when you go to a third world country, rather than me telling them here, you know, you've got what are your needs and look, here's your problems. A lot of times they know exactly what the problem is. There's some uh, corrupt guy up up the road that's uh, blocking the road off or something, keeping supplies coming back or whatever it might be. They know what the problems are. They just don't know quite creatively how to fix it. So we were doing a lot of community development, agricultural projects. Uh, we would do leadership training for pastors and community leaders and church planting type things. And we did a lot of handouts. People would, many times when I go to say Nicaragua, uh, pastors and mayor type people, community leaders would line up at my door. They call it solicitudes and they would have their long list. Like, like they think I'm some kind of a Santa Claus, you know, <laughs> we need a roof for our, our building. And could you provide money for a well? And, and our organization did a lot of that, but I tell you, I year after year, you go back and the same people line up, have, another request and it was it was depressing to me in that uh, yeah i just knew it, that handouts are almost like cocaine or a drug it's only as good as the next fix it does it destroys yeah. dignity it destroys creativity and sometimes in the struggle just like a chicken breaking out of an egg that whole fight of, of getting out makes the chicken strong for life and it's principles that really work. They would work in our inner city. They'd work in our counties. They'd work anywhere in the world where if you give people stuff, uh, it's only as good as the next handout. So I started dreaming about, and, and it was a lot of the places I was going to was coffee. Coffee grows two to 300 miles north and south of the equator. Uh, all the way around the world on mountainous volcanic soil. So, so that right there covers a lot of your more, your dictators, your politically unrest, your uh, third world developing countries are in that whole sphere of uh, countries around the world. And so where just about where you have human need and development needed, you have coffee growing. And so many times I was in those parts of the world up to my armpits and really good coffee. And these guys are telling me they have, you know, they don't have two pennies to rub together. And I remember one time just saying, um, why don't you guys, when you sell your coffee, take the extra income and use some of that. You know, that's what we do in the States. We take discretionary income, what's left over after we pay the bills. And we might give it to a organization or a nonprofit, or we do something that we think needs to get done in our community. And they looked at me like, and I kind of knew the answer, but they looked at me like I was from some other planet. 
Yeah. And and then I began, this was 2001, 2002, began two or three years just studying the whole coffee crisis, you might say, uh, just way more supply than there was demand, and that a lot of low-grown, actually, no one will tell you this, but everybody knows it, and that is after the Vietnam War, the USAID and World Bank funded a lot of Robusta and low-grown bad type of coffee that would grow in Vietnam, just kind of out of a guilt complex, just shoveled tons of money in their agriculture, and they planted coffee. But it upset sort of a delicate uh, balance of, of supply where we, have, we were producing way more coffee. So for the last 25, 30 years, coffee prices are at or below the cost to produce it. And so most farmers, it goes down from there. And, and you know, it might cost them $1.25 per pound to produce a good pound of coffee. They might sell most of the time for 70 or 80 cents. I always say to you guys, to the guys, what, how do you do that? You're just going backwards and like, oh, next year may be better. And we just, we didn't put any fertilizer on this year. We left, we, we, we didn't pick uh, they can the labor's their highest cost, so they can send the pickers out just twice and strip everything rather than picking every week like they should. What's ripe selectively? Anyhow, just that getting my head around that and understanding what these guys need are is a direct uh, purchase directly from them to the roaster. Rather, most countries have six to eight middle coyotes or buyers that. Someone buys from the farmer and delivers to an individual, and that person is trying to put two pickup truckloads together for, for a guy. So he makes a little couple pesos per pound, and he sells to that guy. The next guy is trying to get a container together for a buyer who is trying to put 10 containers together, who is trying to put 100 containers together for a German export. And everybody puts a little bit on it, but the farmer doesn't have any idea who, where his coffee's going. And one of the things, and Mike, you, you know, you and I have not really talked about this, but one of the things that I realized also was happening 20 years ago was there was a real kind of a farm to fork or farm to cup. There was a real foodie movement happening. Kind of craft food was emerging where people wanted to know where their food came from. And so it just kind of was the right timing. We started buying full containers directly from a farmer. I had to buy their export license, their insurance. Uh, it, it was, to say the least, it was extremely risky. But we started that in 2006. We imported our first full container. And the pride, I mean, I could tell you story after story of amazing things that happens when a farmer is is valued and treated as an equal partner in the whole chain of custody of good coffee. Um, I get their best coffee because their name is on the bag and it's shipping to the U.S. and they're so proud of that. And they give their crappy stuff to Starbucks and fair trade and <laughs> where it just gets lost in, in, uh, with thousands of other farmers. Um, yeah, so that, that's kind of the back end and 
uh, I guess I could keep going, Mike. Uh, you interrupt whenever you want, but um, how I met Mike, I met Mike when he was, I was trying to impress him because I was trying to marry his sister. <laughs> yep. I'm a couple years older than Mike, and uh, uh, so I married his uh, uh, an older sister of his. And so every Christmas, Thanksgiving, when we get together uh, with my wife's family, Mike and and our other partner Ken Beachy, the three of us would usually find ourselves in a corner talking deer hunting, and uh, would go to coffee. They we all liked coffee. And it just kind of became a, a natural. And I think around the whole, uh, there was a guy named Michael Savit said that every man has the right to know what's in his food. And mm. that kind of follows the whole foodie movement. But um, I, I think more and more people, if they knew kind of the underbelly of how coffee is traded and the extreme, and, and I'm going to just leave it there coffee coming in through Portland and Sacramento and San Francisco and Los Angeles. Those are the main coffee importers coming across the West coast. If they have discretionary income from their importing, it is not supporting causes that, uh, rise, kill and eat, you know, uh, listen, right. would, would support. And so it just felt like every person, we have a right to know where our food came from and we have a right to have our food support causes that we believe in. So Hunter's Blend was born. That's kind of how it came about. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's one thing that I really, uh, I was telling Mike before we started push recording, <clears throat> that I really loved about your all stories that you guys are all brothers-in-law, that you guys had this this business idea that came from your, your common interest. I mean, of course, like you were saying, is hunting and coffee. And uh, for me, those two things are, something I can definitely relate to. Cause like I said, I'm an avid coffee drinker. And of course the whole Rice podcast is a, it's a show about hunting and it's how we involve our faith in hunting. And you know, uh, the, the title of course comes from mm-hmm. Acts chapter 10 verse 13. So the whole, uh, the whole audience that you guys were going after the whole, uh, customer that you're looking for is, is something that I can definitely relate to. And, uh, the, the fact that you said every man has the right to know what's in his food. I think that's really what compels us towards hunting a lot too, is the, the fact that we get to go out and we, we get to kill an animal, you know, of course, I mean, that that's in and of itself is a whole conversation because of the the violence and whatever to, to say that you're going out to kill an animal is, is sometimes not often, I guess, taken by somebody who doesn't understand what's going on, but then you get to harvest the meat from it. You get to take the meat from it and then you get to feed it to your family and you get to consume it yourself. And you know where the animal was because you saw it standing and you're the one that pulled the trigger and it fell down. So I I think that's something that we can relate to as hunters as well as the fact that we know where our food comes from. We know where our meat comes from. We know where our coffee comes from. And that's, that's a, that's really great that you guys have prioritized the, the direct trade from the farmer directly for that purpose. That's, that's incredible. Well, and I think, uh, those of us in the hunting community, we, we intuitively know when somebody has basically rebranded something and called it, you know, hunting this or that. I mean, you take, 
take a bar of soap off the shelf and, and put a deer sticker on it. And all of a sudden it sells for twice as much because this is outdoor soap or whatever. And I, right. I, I, I'm not cutting down the, the soap manufacturers that make, the, you know, specific product for hunting. I'm just throwing that out as an example that um, you can rebrand something as hunting and then charge more. Well, this actually is the other, the opposite of that. You know, we're a handful of hunters that buy directly from the farmer and then support, you know, bypass that underbelly of traditional coffee, like Paul was talking about. So it's already hunter friendly just on that fact. It's avoided um, the potential for that money to go to causes. I mean, you know, if you go to Starbucks, you, you kind of know where you're at. If you're downtown mm-hmm. Lexington or wherever, you know, in your camo, you know, that's going to be a kind of a weird experience. And yeah. um, so, this is hunter friendly on that regard, but then we also support, you know, NWTF and different organizations like that. So um, it actually does mean something. And then uh, like Paul said, it's the top 6% of coffee. So it's actually a really high grade coffee. And by buying direct, we can give the farmer the cut the middleman would have taken. We're not overpaying for it. It's not a handout. That's that doesn't help handouts don't help anybody, but they can, they can, like he said, be proud of their own product and we're paying them for growing a premium product. And so, um, yeah, it's good for the farmer and it's good for, for hunters. And then if you happen to like coffee, like we do, it's, it's good drinking. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's like I was saying there at the beginning, I was able to to try it and it's, it's definitely some really good coffee. And, uh, it's interesting that you guys mentioned the, the handouts thing. I mean, that's a, like a, I guess that's a whole nother topic in and of itself, because you can see that a lot in our society now is this idea of comfort and this idea that, you know, we just want everything handed to us and, you know, I don't want to work for it. I just want the, I just want somebody to hand it to me. And that's, that's completely opposite of what the, I feel like the American spirit Mm -hmm. really truly is because you can have guys like your, like yourselves, all three of you guys coming together, you're working hard at a common goal. You have a product and that you want to sell you put it out there and you have top quality uh, products that you're, that you're selling to customers and they continue to come back. And like, that's just in itself a sign that, that sustainability and hard work and determination is the way to, to have success. And it's a way to have success, especially in business and in life and whatever the situation may be. And that's, it's really cool to, to hear you guys supporting, you know, uh, like Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, uh, NWTF, um, all these NRA, all these different companies that they are play integral roles in our lifestyle as hunters. And of course, also you guys are offering a product that gets us up and going in the morning to go hunting. So I mean, it's just really cool. The, the parallel that you guys have with your, with your products. It's funny. I, I sometimes, uh, just because of how important, just what you said, how important coffee is to my, if I'm heading to like a deer camp where I'm going to spend the the weekend, uh, if I'm going, my uncle might've been in a cabin out in central, northern central PA, and I'm going there for the weekend or wherever it might be. I, coffee was so important. It was like the first yeah. guy up in the morning, put the coffee on. That's, that's just, a no brainer. And it's like coffee makes the hunting world go around. It's not quite like the same thing as Tootsie Rolls, you know, 
or, <laughs> right. uh, you know, everybody's got kind of their favorite candy or pop or, but coffee is, it's almost, I almost say it's, it's part of our gear because it gets thrown in when, when you go to deer camp, you got to have it. That's what. Yeah. Anytime that I'm uh, planning a, a trip or whatever, that's the one of the first things I think of kind of like what you were saying is that is, you know, how am I going to get my coffee if I'm out camping? Yeah. You know, how, am I going to use instant coffee or what am I going to use to, to get this, uh, get my coffee in the morning? And that's, that's certainly true for, for myself. And I know obviously for you and a lot of people as well. Yeah. Well, and I think coffee is part of the nostalgia. It's kind of like uh, having a beer over a campfire. There's just this thing about, yeah. you know, a, a hot cup of coffee, especially first thing in the morning. And, you know, a lot of times we don't think about it. Where does it, um, um, this is going back what we were talking about a little bit about it being hunting coffee, you know, if, yeah. for our outdoor gear and stuff, um, you know, extreme weather clothing, you know, used to get, have to get high tech clothing from some camping or climbing store from a brand that if you knew what the owner of that brand is trying to, you know, get rid of the second amendment or whatever but that's where you had to go to get the high quote well hunting now we've got all our own brands that are make the top of the line outdoor you know uh, cold weather gear and stuff and so there's a choice now with clothing so you know there's certain brands i'm not going to buy i'm not going to go to that store or buy that brand um and so coffee is something that's kind of out of sight out of mind it's like you know, um, just something that's there. It's like changing oil in your car. You just, you know, whatever. Of course, with oil, you do have a brand preference, I guess. But yeah, my point being that it's kind of go go to the store and just get whatever. And we don't really think about where it comes from. But when there's an option, then people like that to have an option of saying, hey, this is our coffee and it's pretty dang good to boot. So that's the hole we try to fill. Definitely. 100%. I can definitely agree with that. And it's, there are certain brands... Yeah, uh, regardless of the product, whatever it may be, that I think people kind of gravitate towards based on their belief and based on their lifestyle because of those exact things that you said. It's just because I mean that's that's who we are. It's for us specifically for hunters. There may be certain brands like of coffee, like what you guys got going on. There may be certain brands of camo that you know maybe we have a relationship with with uh, some of the people that I don't know maybe work with the the camo brand or whatever the the thing may be we have all have different preferences of bows or of fi- of firearms whatever it is and um you know we have the these preferences and you know it's based on our beliefs and based on what we are of course wanting to do and uh one of the things i was i was kind of preparing for this was i was watching some of your all's youtube videos and i know that this kind of goes back on what you were saying earlier paul is that uh you guys have one of your taglines is like coffee with a purpose and I watched that, that I think it was a couple minute documentary there and um, it was really cool and really moving. And I, th- I know that this is probably going to go back a little bit on what you were talking about, but you know, why is it important to have that distinction in your business with uh, the tagline coffee with a purpose? I mean, we've kind of hit, hit, hit on it a little bit here, but kind of reiterate that for us if you don't mind. Yeah. Well, the, um, the, the actual, you know, supporting causes and conservation and, and our hunting heritage, that is really important to us. And um, we tag it to our sales. So we just would long to sell, you know, sell more to be able to give more. Um, But 
but I guess integrity to me is, is I want whether, whatever area of my life, I want when someone scratches or digs deeper, it's only better when they dig, not they come through the veneer and, oh, I see, this was all smoke and mirrors. And um, if somebody really scratches and digs and follows uh, what we are doing, when you buy Hunter's Blend coffee, there there are 80 women hand sorting coffee in Thailand that goes in our uh, black powder blend. Uh, who worse most of them were sex trafficked. They're now uh, have jobs with purpose because of the several containers we take a year out of there. Um, there's health clinics, water wells school kids in school there's teachers in schools that had no teacher on the farms in nicaragua because of our three or four containers a year that we take out of there and it it's probably most sportsmen most hunters don't really aren't really motivated kind of with a bleeding heart you know i'm going to buy coffee that that um creates jobs in in southeast asia they 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 just don't think that way but when we say it's coffee with a purpose brother sister there's a purpose and we're that's what gets us up every day that's that's why we're doing this Uh, i might enjoy plumbing i might enjoy laying block or stone but i do this because it's changing lives and changing villages and that's what we're that's ultimately what we're trying to do. Yeah, that's that's incredible. It's it's interesting that you mentioned those women that are going through that. You know, of course, that that terrible part of their life that are coming. I guess they're coming out of it at that point. That yeah. sex trafficking thing. That's yeah. something that I guess is coming to light a lot here lately. Is the the that whole arena and you know what all is involved with that and it's actually funny because I'm, I'm wearing my operation underground railroad bracelet mm-hmm. right now oh. uh but the, those guys they, they do a lot of good work so do you guys do you have relationships with people where i don't know this wasn't something that we had planned on talk, talking about but do you guys have like relationships with people that help women you know find jobs with you know maybe coffee forms yeah. or yeah you guys have programs where you can help these women out or uh, even children or even men out. I mean, whatever, whoever else is involved yeah. in these processes, is that something you guys work with? Yes. And of course, we're not the lead in it at all. The people <laughs> on the ground in Thailand, uh, what, what you really have are the people that are growing the coffee in the Northern part are one of seven hill tribes. There's seven to eight hill tribes that are semi migratory. They kind of go, Kind of follow the harvest up and down, and for for probably decades they grew poppy and heroin. The the whole um, uh, why am I blanking out here? Poppy, the what's the crop? <laughs> oh, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that's all right. <laughs> I don't know either. So. <laughs> yeah. I was not a big youth in my day, but uh, <laughs> so so the government made them tear out the poppy plant, opium, opium trade. They've made them yeah, pull out the opium and plant coffee. Well, they were tea drinkers. They weren't even really and uh, coffee. They didn't know what good coffee was. And so probably 30, 40 years, it just kind of languished and 
didn't didn't go anywhere but the those hill tribes were growing opium and growing coffee and and it was just the, those villages the, the women would just kind of get lost and uh i it's really hard to talk about because i have seen it where you have extreme poverty and let's say you've got four or five children three of them are girls one of them's particularly attractive than the others um you know you you probably don't know everything but you know there's supposedly this guy can get her work in bangkok and a steady stream of money will be coming home to you you don't ask any questions you know it's probably something bad and uh, you're told it's restaurant work so it's it's and I don't know, you know, I don't know who all listens to the podcast. I really do not want to misrepresent this, but in many cases, it's actual parents out of desperation needing, uh, we'll take, it's almost like we've got five kids. We're all going to starve. We're going to give one to this industry and maybe the other four of us can live, you know, and it's, it's a tough choice, and I. But when there's real jobs in the village, that all goes away. It goes right to the heart of that desperation. There's work, and the last, you know, a, a, a woman. I mean, that's not what she wants to do. I w- I would think so. When they hear there's work back home, they they find their way back. Um, so a guy named Pat, he's from the Aka tribe. He's probably 35 years old. He's a guy that I work with. He's the one that has uh, just the whole, he's a pastor. Uh, and he's, he also owned his parents' coffee farm. He organized 24 farmers into a group called Abonzo. And so they put out the, put out the word, we need, we need people to sort coffee. And 80, they hired 80 women and they're, it takes them like eight months just to hand sort our coffee each year. So the other months they're doing some pruning and some picking. They're full-time working for this company. And Pat's sister has a sewing operation. I mean, they do world-class, as good as uh, Bradley, uh, Myrna Bradley, whatever purses. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They, I don't buy purses either, but, so there's another 50 or 60 women sewing purses and things that are sold throughout Asia. And there's, we sell them in our coffee shop and distribute them across. So it's just, you know, we're, we're not there on the ground organizing anything or calling any shots. We just are trying to create a suction for their products that they only need to hire more people and get more people rescued out of that. Yeah, that's great because, I mean, that's something like that whole industry in and of itself. There's a lot of evil going on in that industry, and it's 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 an industry literally built on evil. And it's uh, I think there's a lot of a lot of resources and a lot of news that are coming out now about, you know, industries like that. I don't, I don't know. I, I guess it's a empowerment from the president. It's just different organizations uh, like Operation Underground Railroad. I know Tim Tebow, he's joined in the fight with it. There's a indent movement that seems to occur on an annual basis. There's a lot of 
notoriety and a lot of publicity that's yeah. getting around about that whole industry now. And it's a great thing because a lot more people are becoming aware. And uh, you mentioned like parents getting their kids involved in it out of desperation. And, um, you know, that's something that it happens as much as I hate to say it, it happens here in our country. Right. Like it happens, you know, just about everywhere. And um, I was listening to, uh, uh, shoot, I can't think of the guy's name now. Anyway, there's, it's a guy from South Africa who he just came over here uh, not too long ago. I think is uh, Jocko Buyans. I think is his yeah, name. Jocko. Yeah, guy, yeah. Yeah. So he was uh, he was discussing how pretty much that any zip code in the United States, there's a possibility of it going on, regardless of rural rural opportunities or regardless of urban areas. Yeah. And it's it's something that is is truly tragic. And if I can, you know, use this podcast to even bring one person to to you know research it even more and of course you guys doing it uh where you're getting women and children out of that that uh opportunity and finding them work that is sustainable and work that doesn't involve that is just that's awesome and i I think it's something that definitely commend you guys for i i just think we don't really appreciate the power of a job you know, when when an unemployment in many of these countries is so high, and for the Aka, these hill tribes, they don't have citizenship automatically, so they're kind of like an animal, anyways. They can be treated. You can work for a whole month and go to collect your paycheck, and the guy says, "I don't, I don't know you anything." You can yeah. get mad, get upset, but you have no recourse because you you don't have a an ID you don't exist. And when you've got a whole segment of society that don't have IDs and don't exist, you talk about slavery and, you know, in enslavement, it's, it's rampant. But there's, there's one thing that um, when we talk about coffee that I, I really, I'm not sure if it was on some things we talked about prior, but the idea that, that there's one, roast or one flavor profile or one kind of coffee that is best. I, I hear this a lot. People ask me, what's the best coffee? And I usually turn around and say, what's the best color? <laughs> right. Well, you know, I, I asked that to guy, he said, oh, blue. I said, so blue is the best color. Yeah. Well, how do you know that? I love blue. And I said, well, I hate blue. <laughs> I like red. And, and I said, besides blue, look at a color palette for paint and there's a thousand different blues, which blue. And, and that's the problem with coffee when to, to all come under one, one roof, you might say, and say, we have Hunter's blend. We have one coffee. It's the best coffee. Everybody should drink it. When in fact, coffee taste and flavor is kind of a learned thing. There's no right or wrong. It's, if you're used to, if your mommy's mommy and your mommy put milk and sugar in it, then that whole habit of milk and sugar, cream and sugar started because some of the worst coffee in the world, nasty, uh, very bitter and astringent was coming into the States during the depression. And in order to tame it, you put a little sugar, a little milk, and it made it palatable. And it becomes sort of a beverage that there's people you you'll never get them off cream and sugar. That's that's what they like. Yeah. And when I meet those people, I say more power to you. They're probably going to want our black powder, which is really 
strong and has kind of a, uh, a, a full body. It handles the milk it, uh, really well. But then there's these millennials with their boots on and their lumberjack get up and beard and <laughs> no calluses on their hands. Uh, right. <laughs> but they like a real light roast, you know, that's almost, I mean, it would be on the bitter side or, but there can be a, a sweetness or a fruitiness in a real light roast. And that's kind of what we're getting at with our uh, dawn's early light. So uh, I guess what I'm pointing to is we have, we have a coffee, our original roast, it caught, I would say probably 80, 85% of the people. They liked it. It was smooth. wasn't bitter. I could drink it without cream and sugar. We heard, we hear that a lot. But the reality is you like what you like. And uh, it's a little bit like uh, uh, maybe pizza. Uh, If all you ever ate was Pizza Hut, then you judge everything by is it tastes like Pizza Hut pizza. If it doesn't, I don't like it. When in fact, go right, you know, to the motherland, go to Sicily, Italy and have a pizza pie. And it is nothing like pizza. Pizza Hut, you know, and that's um, to some people, that's what it's got to be. So a long, long way to get at. We have four different, we have three different roast levels, our light, medium and dark. And then we have a flavor uh, Java rum. Uh, This is going to sound kind of sexist, but 80% of flavored coffee is consumed by women. That's a national statistic. I didn't know that. And the largest, the fastest growing segment of hunting is women. And Mm -hmm. we hear from a lot of men too, that they just buy, they just drink whatever their wife brings home from the grocery store. So we decide to start targeting women. And the best way to do that is with with Java rum. It's, it's a caramel chocolate vanilla rum note in it. And it's, it's really good. Um, So so we we have a hunter's blend under the hunter blend family we have four different coffees really for anybody that has a acquired taste that they're fussy with it's got to be we got it for them there is no best coffee right it's what you like yeah i had the opportunity to try the the original roast and that that stuff's really good for me see i me personally, I like my coffee just straight black. Like I like it hot, I like it black, and now I like it um first thing in the morning. So, so that's that, yeah. I really enjoyed drinking that because uh, it was very smooth. It was very well balanced. Um, it sounds like I'm gonna have to try the the black powder the next time because I, I like what my uh, mom would call motor oil kind of oh, coffee, yeah. where it's yeah. puts the puts the hair on your chest kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm going to have to try that next time. Yeah, I, I call it, I can taste the roaster in it. It's not, yeah. it's it just got a, uh, a darker smoky note to it. And it's really kind of the palate that, that Starbucks kind of got us all on uh, where, you can take lower grade coffee and roast it dark and it tastes just as good as high quality coffee roasted dark. I mean, it's, it, it's something about in the roast, you roast away all the acidity, all the sugars are, have, have caramelized and have left. And you can take crappy coffee and 
high scoring coffee, green coffee, and roast it all dark, and they're going to taste pretty close to the same. Burnt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, as a, as somebody who's roasting, and I know me and Mike, we were talking about this uh, before you you had jumped on. Um, but you ha- you've gone through quite an extensive. I guess process quite an extensive uh, warning process of being able to actually roast coffee and to know how to develop these different pl- flavor flavor profiles. Is what I'm trying to say, and uh, so what does that uh, uh, what does that process kind of look like as far as being able to do that? And I know you mentioned all your different products, and I mean how how difficult and how I guess uh, specific do you have to be with the processes in order to have a consistent flavor? that you continue to put out for customers? So really, I guess the most simplest way to say it would be to consistently put out coffee. You have to be able to taste coffee and make notations in an organized way that a year later or two months later, you can come back, cup that coffee again blind, make your notes, and then look at the two score sheets and compare them. Did this coffee slip or if it's a new harvest, is it, did the weather pattern, the the processing of it, what the farmer did or the weather, the rain, the lack of rain, did it change the crop in any way? And and, uh, so, so there, there's a uh, protocol called the two grader. And what it is, is a hundred, uh, 10 different groupings like acidity, mouthfeel, body, uh, flavor, um, and, it, and, and there's 10 different of those, and you score it 1 to 10, and you make little notes, uh, taste apricot, you know. And, and so there's a whole protocol for setting up the cup, and the first three are done when the coffee is still dry. It's called the fragrance. So you're smelling it and making notations. Then you pour water over it before you break the crust. You make notations about what you smell when it's wet. That's the aroma. And then then you start slurping and spitting. Everything your mother said don't do. do. But you go through it. And and so coffee can have anywhere from a 1 to a 100. And 100 coffee, I guess I'm going to say it's unheard of. 90 coffee is very rare. So coffee in the 80, I think Starbucks begins considering a coffee around 78. Mm -hmm. And our coffee consistently scores from Nicaragua and from Thailand in the 86 to 87. And that's, that's just from the quality side. And then when you're roasting, there's a thing called the ROR, the rate of rise. So if I put green coffee in and I'm going for, let's say, over a 15-minute period, I can go on low heat and 12 minutes into the roast, I'm at 200 degrees and I turn the heat and spike it the last three minutes and get it up to 410. That's going to taste totally different than if I put that coffee in high heat and at 12 minutes, I'm at 400 degrees. And then I basically turn the heater off and let it walk up to 410. It's still 15 minutes. It's still 410 degrees. But the rate of rise was a whole different, that's what we call profile. It was a whole different profile if you were charting it. 
those are like two, they can be the very same coffee that tastes totally different. So a, a cupper's job and a, and a working, sometimes it's two different people. In my case, I'm the roaster and the cupper. I am always playing with my rate of rise or my roasting profile to see if I can improve in the cup that coffee. Or I know my, so like these uh, three roast profiles of our, uh, our light, medium, and dark. I know where I crank my heat up, where I finish it at, where I drop it. Uh, but um, yeah, so that that in a in a nutshell, and you have you are supposed to you can get licensed or certified as a Q grader. Um, it's a week long of testing, and uh, there's 400 licensed Q graders in the U.S. right now. I'm one of them, but there's a lot of people that went through it and don't keep it active. So, but that's the, you have to learn to take coffee and make notes. And then that that's probably the simplest way to describe what a roaster's job is, is not to turn the heat on and take what he gets, but create what he wants. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's one thing that I've really commended coffee roasters on and especially people who do it manually and they do it you know with their where they're the ones that are controlling the heat and all that kind of thing is it's really a science like it comes down to 100 percent a science because it's all a matter of chemical reactions within the beans and it's yeah. all a matter of different things going on and yeah. you have to do that on a consistent basis too because this is your all's business i mean this yeah. is something that you guys do and if a customer orders you know the black powder uh, the one time and they really like it and they want it again, it's got to taste the exact same. So that's something that, you know, is, is, uh, I can definitely commend you guys on as far as being able to do that because, you know, any, any kind of food product, I feel like that's necessary in order to, to make sure that you're, you're consistently holding customers, especially if they are liking what you're, what you're selling. So that's, that's great that you guys have that figured out. The, um, there's a luxury that I don't have, though, and um, a lot of specialty coffee roasters, they'll go to brokers at import and they are asking for samples of a particular Guatemala, let's say. And when they get it, they like it. They nail down 50 bags. And over the next year, those 50 bags come in. They don't really know the farmer. They know the name maybe of the farmer. They know the name of the farm. They roast them, and the next year, they're, it's all up for grabs again. They're trying to find a Guatemala they like because it, it's an agricultural product. It does change. My commitment is to my farmers, and I'm always trying to get them to get me the best coffee they can. But that's the challenge, you know, I guess, that I have is to um, – w- when we roast a single origin like, like – uh, our dawn's early light is the Sulawesi. That's a Indonesian island. And next year, it's it's going to be a little different. It's going to be, it's not going to be bad. It's not going to be good. It's just going to be a little different. There might be, in, mm-hmm. been, be kind of an apricot note. And the next year, it's more of a, a, a plum <laughs> you know subtle little differences but you would describe it different because that's in the cup that's the, the way it came out you're not trying to be influenced by last year's 
so blends like our black powder is three different coffees that are blending. That's much easier. One coffee can change a little and you're not going to notice it in the cup. You know, that's the nice thing about a blend, but a single origin is it's naked coffee. It shows you everything it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely interesting. And there, you know, as somebody who, who drinks coffee on a daily basis, that, that there's a lot behind it that I, you know, just the average everyday person who is buying coffee from you guys or really coffee from the store, wherever they're getting it from, that's something that they probably don't know. They probably don't know yeah. the amount of research and the amount of work that goes into just this one cup of coffee that you're drinking at five o'clock in the morning when you're half asleep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty yeah. interesting. It's very impressive that you guys have invested so much into the quality and, you know, knowing where your coffee's coming from and knowing personally the farmers. And I just think that's really awesome that you guys have, oh. have done that. And yeah. Thank you. That's, that, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, one of the things too, on your all's website is that you guys offer more than just coffee, which is just really cool too, is that you guys of course have, you've got uh, different drinkware, you've got some apparel, you got some merchandise on there. You guys have also, I was looking, you have a rut calendar, so what's the what's the story behind the rut calendar? What's the purpose of that? We you know it is as we're recording this, it's the end of September. This is going to release probably middle of October, so it's going to be just in time for that that rut calendar to to really start to become of interest to a lot of people. So kind of give us the story of what's going on with that. I'll let you take it, Mike. Yeah, I can. Uh, uh, a number of years ago, um, uh. A podcast had actually a guy that recorded a podcast started buying some of uh, some of the Hunters Blend coffee, and we kind of got introduced to them. Uh, it was the Hunt Fish Journal, and over time, um, one of their regular guests became one of the primary hosts of the show, Jerry Everhart. And he's in his seventies. Um, he's been hunting since the nineteen seventies, and literally every day that he goes hunting, he's making. F- field notes, uh, detailed field notes. He's got manuals upon manuals packed full of field notes. And he started, he decided to um, chart the days out of the year that he saw the biggest bucks. He was trying to come up with a method to the madness and, you know, looked at the moon guides and things. And um, he started, he just went backwards and analyzed all his notes, the dates he saw the biggest buck, the weather, blah, blah, blah. And it narrowed it, it down to a, whatever, a week or two period there in early November. But, um, it didn't, it didn't pinpoint anything. And long story short, he was, uh, he was able to coordinate that to the rate of change of sunlight. And once he found out that, he kept narrowing it down and down and, and did all this math by hand, basically. And um, <clears throat> to the point to where in the last 15 years, I think he's gotten uh, 13 or so Popin young caliber bucks. Now, Jerry's in his 70s. He only hunts on about 60 some acres uh, free range. Uh, he does have exclusive right to hunt there so he can man- he can stay out of there and avoid pressure. But he shoots a recurve with fingers and wow. and literally and he doesn't climb the tree a lot of times every year. Uh, he's he's 
Oh, I forget he said once how many times he had to climb the trees to get, you know, it's we're talking a handful of times. And so the bottom line is um, his whole theory, and I, and I think it, we, we feel it makes sense. We've been using his system now for a number of years successfully. Um, that, yeah, the sunlight is, does all the chemical changes in the animals. It, it puts the does into heat. It, 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 in uh, late summer, the, uh, it tells the bucks to start shedding their, their antler, you know, their t- increased pr- uh, testosterone while they're, and then they shed the velvet. It's all related to, to the um, daylight tables. And so um, he actually did a test here a few years ago at one of his stand locations. He put a trail camera on it. And what the other part of that is, uh, well, there's really two, there's several parts. The, the big one is uh, getting these dates figured out. Another one is uh, using scrapes then and licking branches to draw the deer to the bucks to your area. And he had experimented with that and, you know, one or two scrapes didn't do a whole lot. But as he kept bumping up the number of scrapes at a stand location, it really uh, exponentially change the number of bucks that would come in. So typically shoot for at least six to maybe nine scrapes at each um, stand location. So the combination of, of the timing, waiting till the key days to hunt, and then using uh, scrapes to to get the deer to target that area. Um, and I've, I've Hey, Mike, can I just interject? Yeah. The other idea, uh, the research he's done is that the first time you go in on a stand is your best opportunity to kill. That deer will start, will start feeling the pressure of you coming into that stand. So if the bucks are cruising even in October, but they're not at night, but they're not, they're still nocturnal. You don't want to be going to those stands. You're trying to find the key day where they go day in and day out, then go to the stand. And and that's kind of the whole functional hunting system. Yeah, what, what Paul's talking about, there's been now, I know there's a lot of experienced people that have figured this out just by observation, but they've done uh, studies with radio collars on deer, and they found that hunting a stand um, – three times or a total of 12 hours that is enough to start uh, causing the deer to shift their travel. They don't leave and go to the next county, but they'll just start circling that stand maybe 50, 100 yards out. The hunter never knows they're there. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy how, how and they did this with radio uh, collars. So they, they, they were able to tell um, hunting pressure versus deer movement. And so, yeah, exactly what Paul said. Each time you go, I, my neighbor that taught my uh, taught me how to shoot the bow, he said, each time you go to the sit in a stand, you cut your chances in half from the previous time. And I, I've heard that from another uh, old timer too. And it's just um, th- so the whole point is, well, so when is that first date? Well, that's that's uh, the rut calculator that Jerry came up with. He used to do it by hand. And, uh, you know, we'd do it for a few friends because it took him a half hour, 45 minutes. Well, it came up with a computer program. They had it online for a number of years. And then some things changed with their website uh, last year. And so we said, well, <laughs> hey, we want this. We want this rut calculator. 
uh, how about if we just host it? So um, he was kind enough to let us do that. We wanted it for ourselves. And uh, we know there's plenty of other people that want it as well. So that's that helps you target the days to, to wait to go. It's obviously it's not a guarantee, but it's like a I it's it's almost like a bell curve when they go from nighttime only to 24 seven. Yes, you're going to see people kill monster bucks every day of the season. I mean, that's that's clearly true. But when you map out the days, it does follow this pattern. And so uh, using the scrapes then. Um, so you do a, you know, obviously you have to have a licking branch over top of each scrape. You pull the branch down from the opposite side of the trail. Uh, so it's pointing towards you so that when the deer puts his head up to the branch, he's not looking up at you. But the way this system works is you try to find two parallel trails, maybe 40 yards apart that we're talking archery here, obviously, and yeah. um, find a decent tree that you can shoot to both trails left and right you go to the front of you, maybe 20 yards or whatever the distance works out and cut a crossing trail. And anybody that's ever cut trails or mowed, you, you, you see exactly, I mean, you see the deer just start using that right away because it, it makes sense. It takes, we, we do the same thing. Why crawl yeah. through the brush when I can take this nice little path here? So, um, that, that, that way you've got, you can get them coming and going is basically how that works. Last uh, two years ago, it worked cookie cutter for me and I'll just describe it to you. So I've, you know, you got the two trails right and left and my crossing trail. And the, it was literally the first day of the uh, rut calculator. The first day I hunted up in the stand and uh, so around 11, I mean, around two o'clock, this buck came from my right rear up that trail and then turned left on the crossing trail in front of me, went to the one licking branch and I was getting ready. And he was on the second branch when I shot him. And now, again, that's cookie cutter. It's 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 textbook how you want it to be. But it it I mean, it, it worked it this. I mean, it was just so cool to see. But I start these branches the earlier in the summer you start them, the better, because the does will use them all summer long. But it's still not too late to go out and pull the licking branches. What we try to do is get three on the left side, three on the front, three on the right. I mean, give or take, you know, you can have more or less, but that's kind of a again, a cookie cutter way of doing it. And like I said, you pull the branch down on the opposite side of the road, anywhere from waist up to chest uh, height in that range and use paracord to tie it down to the proper height. If you can't find a branch, you can, and you can find a vine. They, they like vines a lot. And, uh, and then here in a couple of weeks, we'll start our scrapes and then use a good doing heat with buck tarsal, um, Jerry Everhart had a source of that. There's a deer farmer up in the Northeast. And so um, he wasn't selling that urine anymore. So we ended up putting that on the site too. So uh, it's not in with the coffee. It's on its own little, little section there. So yeah, my wife and kids are like, man, you got deer urine on a coffee, coffee uh, website, but you know, hunters understand this sort of thing. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's not a guarantee for sure, but I can tell you on my little five acres that I hunt, I have had opportunity at many. Now, when I say opportunity, that's the key word The uh, means something different from successful harvest right? (laughs) of, of more very nice and mature bucks than I 
you would expect or I should have, you know, on, on this small of a property because they don't, nothing really beds on our property. It's, we, we've got a two acre strip of a, a creek bottom down behind our place that connects two pieces of woods. And so it's a great travel route but they're just moving back and forth through there. So in back in that little spot, I've got my, my uh, scrape set up and I'll tell you what, it is the funnest thing in the world all summer long on the, you know, have the trail camera out there and watching the does and the fawns use it. Um, and the nice thing about that is you're not having to whistle at them, uh, to get them to stop. Uh, most days when I'm hunting, if a doe and her fawn come through, they'll stop and check, scent, check the, the scrape. Well, she just stopped with her head down, with her mind on something else. I didn't have yeah. to whistle at her or do anything. So it's a, it's a great system. It's something that we've used uh, the rut calculator and the urine for years. And then last year, just because their situation changed on their page, we said, well, we want to use this stuff ourselves. So uh, that's, that's how we kind of came to, to have that on our, on our site. And, and they also had a lot of followers that every year were wanting their key dates. I mean, the, the, when you get the key dates on, from the calculator, it gives you the seek stage where they're just looking. And then there's a chase stage that follows. And then that lockdown breeding stage. And um, that seek stage is magical, you know, in the woods. And if you've got nine scrapes and licking branches with tarsal gland, dough and heat urine in every one of those, and a buck comes through in his mind, it's like, there's a girlfriend around here somewhere, you know, I'm, I'm not going to forget this spot. And where on my trail cameras, I might've seen in my little 11 acre thing, you know, two or three bucks, I can see 12 or 15. They're not all big. But some more. Yeah, he brought up a really good point. I forgot to uh, mention or finish a couple years ago. Jerry put a trail camera on one of his scrapes. Now, this was one scrape at a stand location. There were six or eight other scrapes there. So just one of the many. And he put the trail camera on there just to observe through that. And he had it from, you know, early fall into late winter or whatever. And on those specific dates, if you would have drawn this on a chart, um, it was steeper than a bell curve. The daytime sightings at that um, at that scrape. In other words, there's bucks there, like Paul said, all you know at night. But the daytime yeah. shootable uh, times, um, the the um, sightings, and I don't remember the numbers anymore, but it was, it's exponential on those days. So like Paul said, the first three days, the does um, are still typically not quite ready. I mean, their scent is strong in the woods, but the, the, they're, they're still hiding out. So these bucks kind of, that's when they start going 24 seven, just, and they're not going crazy yet. They're just kind of, they're just kind of um, scanning and cruising yeah, yeah. cruising yeah. yeah then the next three days yeah three or, you know it's three or four days of seeking and three or four days of of uh, of chasing and that's it's a little tougher then but you still uh you know it's those seven days are great but the, the funny thing is paul lives an hour west of me and his day his first day of the key days is usually one day different from mine 
So within one state from north to south, east to west, you're going to have a day or two difference. And it changes per year, right? It's not always, you know, uh, November 7th. You know, it's going to go forward and back every year. So, um, you know, if it depends. But if you have limited time you can take off or if you want to put the stack the most odds in your favor, you still you know, it's, it's still hunting, you know, <laughs> there's no guarantees, but if you want to stack them in your favor, um, then it's, it's a good system. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's why they call it hunting and not killing is yeah. <laughs> that you're, you're out there looking for them the whole time. So yeah. it's interesting that you guys mentioned the phases, like the different phases and that kind of thing of the rut, uh, I, the rut actual season, because, uh, if you are talking to anybody who hunts, especially come November, you're the one of the first questions you ask them have you seen them chasing yet you know what are they doing right now yeah, are they right. are they yep. seeking are they in what phase you think they're in what are they doing on your farm so it'd be interesting to see to be able to like have a system like what you guys have where you can uh, have a rough estimate of uh, like a to quantify that value in that date in order to actually be able to see like this is most likely where in this area they're going to be the, yeah. be peaking or this yeah. is the, where they're going to be chasing or seeking or whatever the the thing is and one of the questions i want to ask you guys is um if you were mentioning your scrapes and you know having your system of of scrapes on your land are you guys using uh mock scrapes or are you guys going in and putting your own in or are you um uh just allowing the bucks to kind of make their own natural scrapes or what kind of does that look like for your all's uh preferences as far as how you have your system set up well, the, the licking branch is the key, and you can start those as early any any time. You can start them in the spring, and they'll start using them right away. To get them to start using it the first time, uh, it's, you know, if you put a little deer, you can put a little deer urine on the branch or like a buck uh, preorbital gland. But the does will use it all summer. Once they start using it, they're they you're if you if you have cameras on it you'll see that those and the bucks on those branches all summer long and then here early um early october i go out and start the scrapes now they they would start them themselves because they're all when they're on the branch then they're going to scrape there so you really wouldn't have to but i just you know we do um just enhance it and um yeah so we, we start them every fall, but it has to be, as you know, under, under a licking branch or they're not, that's why they scrape down there. So yeah, that's more of a personal question for me because it's more of an advice kind of question for me. Cause I, I have about, it's about a 60 acre soybean farm, which has about 59 acres of it is open field. And then I've got a little patch of woods kind of like right in the corner that I do like a lot of the hunting in. So I'm hoping to be able to see some scrapes and I've got a, I've got a tree line that kind of cuts the field in half, but I can see some scrapes through there throughout October and that kind of thing. So that was more of an advice question for me. Cause yeah. I'm going to be going out doing some, uh, work this weekend on, on the property I'm hunting on to kind of get ready for that November time. So but that, well, we yeah, wanted that's to... definitely, that definitely great that you guys offer that. We wanted to have tutorials uh, on the site by this fall, which we didn't get to, but uh, just have some sit downs with Jerry, uh, either in the shop or out in the woods and just kind of walking through, breaking each one of these steps down um, just visually and and with with, uh, 
and video or whatever, um, just to help because it, it, it's, it's, uh, it is a good system and, and sometimes just hearing it talk through briefly, it's a little hard to get the mental picture, but when you, right, that's still the goal. We want to, uh, I'd like to get that by next year if we can get that on the site. Cause it, it's the more information you've got. And again, I want to reiterate, this isn't clearly, we're not trying to pretend that this is a, some kind of a guarantee. It's not right. Yeah. And, and do bucks chase other days out of the year? Absolutely. Now, the one thing that you'll probably see, though, the earlier chasing going on is a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times the littler bucks. The big bucks know it ain't time yet. I, I'm going to waste my energy. But the little guys are all hopped up and, you know. so They're feeling some things they, they're not used they, to feeling. Exactly. <laughs> oh, it was so yeah. awesome. The, the year that I shot that buck, uh, that two years ago when I got that buck I was telling you about, that morning, a little fawn came up to the one branch and, oh my gosh, he like danced around and hopped. And it was the, yeah. he put his, you know, had to go on his hind legs to smell up. And then he just was like, he was so jazzed about something. I don't think he knew quite what yet, but he was, <laughs> he was feeling his oats, you know? And yeah, so that's what, when, so they do, they, they don't obviously follow our rules by any, any stretch. And these aren't our rules. What we're, what Jerry did was, basically condensed down i mean it's just what an insurance adjust uh, insurance companies do they look at actuary tables to figure out you know hey this kid is an 18 year old boy with a brand new corvette we're going to charge him a lot for that insurance it doesn't mean he's going to have a wreck it doesn't mean that this the the 30 year old you know mom who's a super careful driver isn't going to have a wreck but you know the law of averages and that's exactly what Jerry's done with this this uh, calculator is to put the law of averages into your favor. So, probably yeah, we've been believers of it for years and ourselves. Probably the biggest thing that's happened to me to keep me humble and to keep uh, just, just what we're saying, that it is hunting, is right on my key day, the farmer decides it's time to go cut firewood, right? Right, you know. <laughs> And and so you you got pressure that's out of your control that comes to bear on your properties that it just messes everything up and deer respond to the pressure you know they'll go around it or it just didn't happen that day yeah 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 hey, those are all definitely factors I this is a total change of uh, subject here and I know we've gone long but I there's um, well, I should back up. Is there, is there something you'd like to cover on that yet? The, the rut calculator and the, no, I, I think that's good. And I was actually going to just say, I was going to, I'll have, uh, links for that rut calculator, calculator specifically down in the show notes of this. And I was, I was going right. to move on to so go yeah. ahead. You know, we're, we're approaching election cycle and, um, I forget the percentage of hunters that did not vote last year or were not registered. I think it's around half. You know, there. You know, you hear sometimes from people, ah, I don't get involved in politics. Yeah. You know, and you know, as uh, Christians are kind of in the same boat. I mean, the, the percentages are similar. It's like there is a, a a lot of people that are either not registered, or that um, are registered but didn't vote. And yeah. there is a there's a lot at stake. And um, there's a, a great website, huntthevote.org. Uh, you can go on there and click on their menu at the top right and get registered online. It's easy to do. And then it'll get you hooked 
hooked up with uh, your state and stuff like that. But find out the the platforms of the um, of the candidates that you're voting for. You know, our Second Amendment is, you know, who cares if you've got hunting property if you if the Second Amendment you know keeps getting chipped away at. There's a bill mm-hmm. that was introduced this year. It, you can look it up. It's HR fifty seven seventeen. HR five seven one seven. And it is the most comprehensive, broad based I mean Second Amendment killer. It's it's insane. I mean they they you they list the long laundry list of specific guns that they're they would outlaw. And I mean, this this whole bill, just the overview is a couple of pages long, not even getting into the text of what the bill is. Right. Um, so we in I would just appeal to everybody. We can't afford to, to, quote, not get involved in politics. You know, the fact is we all pay our taxes. We all live here. And if we don't let if we don't make our voice heard, then the people that maybe don't think like us are going to have their voice heard. And so as hunters and as Christians, um, either, you know, in either camp or a lot of us are in both camps, um, it's it's really important to let our voice be heard. If all the hunters would vote uh, along a Second Amendment concept, that would completely change um, elections. If if all the Christians voted according to biblical principles, it would completely change. And so but then then where we get stuck with policies and, and, and candidates that we don't like and we complain about it. And this is the, this is one of the things that we can do. So I just want to really encourage everybody um, to definitely uh, vote. If you haven't registered yet, by the time this airs, I don't, I know uh, I think Pennsylvania is maybe October 19th here in Ohio. It's October 5th is the last day you can register. Um, but it's, it's one thing that we all still have, uh, a voice that can be heard. So I just, you know, if we, we can, we have a lot to say about our future. If, if we, um, if we use the, the, you know, start with voting, that's the least we can do. Yeah. So just a big appeal to people to, to take it seriously. And, um, you know, we can make a difference. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, I actually had Jim Liberatore on this podcast back th- this summer. And uh, of course, he does a lot of stuff with Hunt the Vote and he's got his the Harvest film coming up. But um, I think it's very important that we get out and vote. I mean, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people out in this world that wish they had some kind of democratic republic system mm-hmm. where they could cast a vote and have these ele- elected officials because, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's a lot of places where... Uh, power of one person or power of a small group of people have really destroyed a lot of potentially great places Mm -hmm. because of that. So we have the opportunity as hunters and as Christians and as people, uh, and as American citizens to go out and make a difference in our own, our own country. Like our, you know, 240 years ago, our founders put together this great system that Mm -hmm. allowed the people to be in power. And I think it's important that people exercise that power as American citizens, because whenever we neglect that opportunity, I think we've seen a lot of rights and a lot of things kind of get, try to get stamped, uh, trampled on over the past, I guess, seven months or so. Uh, as soon as we give up that opportunity, we stop fighting for it. That's when things start to kind of go away. And that's, that's exactly what they warned us about 240 years ago. And it's certainly true now. And that um, I'm glad you mentioned that because 
there is a lot going on. There's a lot riding on this election. I've heard some people talk that, you know, that are 70, 80 years old saying that they've never seen an election that has had so much riding on it compared to this one. So, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. That's interesting that the older people generation is saying that I, I feel yeah. that way. And, um, I mean, I'm in my mid fifties, but, uh, it's, and I, and I agree. I, I think it's, I don't know if the stakes have, have been higher. Yeah. I'll tell you who it was specifically is actually, uh, Phil Robertson. They have their unashamed yeah. podcast yep. that they have yep. and um, they were talking about it and he said he hasn't seen anything like this, you know, since the sixties, you know, whenever the whole Vietnam thing was going on and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And, um, uh, but yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. I'm definitely glad you mentioned that, but to kind of close this out here, um, where uh, you guys also have a, a referral program with the Hunter's Blend Coffee. That's something I actually signed up for this morning. I'm going to be posting my link down in the uh, details of the show. So that you guys listen and make sure you guys check that out. You can get 10% off, all that kind of thing. But uh, kind of go into what inspired you guys to have that referral program and, uh, you know, the reward program for your for your brand. Well, it's just an, it's another way to, to stay in touch with our customers. Um, it's really a two-way street. The, the more we stay in touch with the customers, the more opportunities we give our customers, the more they're going to keep coming back and we get to kind of help each other. So, yeah, with the referral program, you get your own um, unique URL code and then you can share that on your social media or whatever. Um, people get 10% off their first, um, their first purchase. So it's good for them. And then you get to earn credit, uh, store credit towards uh, discounted or free, you know, uh, coffee. And so it's a, it's a win-win and, you know, it, it when you spread the word, we're, it's our way of saying, thank you. You know, it's like a, you know, because you, you know, you share the, you share the company, it's bringing people to us. We say thank you with the store credits. And um, yeah, so hopefully it's a win-win for everybody. We want to make, we want to be a community of mm-hmm. people, not just only selling coffee, but we want, we want to create something that people want to belong to. And um, that's just one more way of doing that. Yeah, that's definitely great. That's a great idea. And, um, you know, like you were saying, it's a win-win situation for you guys. Cause it's, it's a marketing, you know, from a business side, it's a marketing aspect of it because you have people that are going out and, you know, spreading the word on what you guys represent. And of course your great coffee. And at the same time, it's a benefit for the customer as well to be able to save uh, a few dollars on, on some great coffee again. So that's yep. definitely a, definitely a good idea. And, um, I appreciate you guys being on the rice Elite podcast with me. This was a fun conversation i love i guess I've, i think i've said it in the past that the only two things i know how to talk about are my faith and hunting and i guess coffee is another one of those things i can add to that list but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. i definitely appreciate you guys yeah. being on so where can listeners where they can they uh connect with hunters blend coffee everything that you guys are doing as far as uh social media all yeah. that kind of thing well we're on uh, uh instagram facebook and twitter uh at hunters blend um, we're having to, you'll notice our Facebook, uh, uh, followers is a small number. They, we, uh, long story short, but we're starting over from scratch on that. So kind of stuff beyond our control, unfortunately, but which is actually part of the reason why we also started. And I'd like to mention it to your listeners too. Um, there's another social media app. Free speech is kind of the, the key, 
phrase there, and it's called Parler, P-A-R-L-E-R. Uh, the format is like Twitter, but their their whole point is, you know, of being tired of being censored on other platforms. And uh, especially those of us in the hunting community, you know, you, you get you can get some antis out there yelling at you or you can get people not wanting to see some blood or who knows what. And those uh, are always fun to deal with. Yeah, <laughs> right. And then much less, God forbid, you mentioned the political you know, and it doesn't have to be political, but it can be made political. Let's put it that way. Right. Um, they So uh, Parlor is a great, we, we've got a page on there as well that we uh, like working with them. And it's a lot of good people there. Um, and even if a person doesn't use it a lot actively, I think just getting on there and making an account and stuff, I, I think there's going to be, I think that's going to be something for the future where we can find a spot where we can share our ideas a little bit more. So, but yeah, Hunter's Blend Coffee. And then the website is uh, huntersblendcoffee.com. And uh, you get all the coffee on there and gear. We got shirts. Um, the, uh, the, we are a regular green Hunter's Blend shirt, just our logo. But uh, the, uh, the flag shirt's kind of fun. Um, the front says, um, I like my coffee black and my tea in the harbor. And it's a play on the, obviously the Boston tea party. And the thing is after the Boston tea party, drinking tea was starting to be considered unpatriotic. So John Adams in a letter to his wife, we've got an excerpt on the back of the shirt. He says, uh, tea must be universally renounced. I must be weaned and the sooner the better. So it's just, a, it's just a fun shirt. It's uh, you know, shore support for the country and, and, and our love of coffee all at the same time. But yeah, that and our drinkware and, and then all the rut stuff too is on there at huntersblendcoffee.com. That's great. I'll definitely have all that stuff linked in the show notes of the show. I'll have all the social media. I'll be sure to include the parlor account and of course the website. And I'm going to have to check out that shirt. The thing that sounds pretty awesome. That's, that's, that's pretty cool that you guys have that on there. But again, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Mike for being on the rice Elite podcast like i said this was a fun conversation and uh i'm looking forward to maybe doing this again sometime this is this is really great sure thing tyler hey it was our honor to be with you yes tyler appreciate it really enjoyed it all right thank you all right so i know you guys enjoyed that conversation with mike and paul of hunter's blend coffee if you guys are interested in checking out some of their products and their delicious coffee you guys can use the link that is in the show notes below that's going to give you 10% off of your order of coffee. And I definitely suggest that you do that because that is some, it's some good stuff. And I know you guys are going to enjoy it. And I know, I know you guys can definitely appreciate what Hunter's Blend Coffee stands for as far as their story goes and what it means to have coffee with a purpose. I want to ask you that you guys leave a rating and review of the Rise Kelly podcast. I know I've said this plenty of times in the past, but ratings and review, they go a long way with being able to help grow the show organically. And it's an easy way for you to show your support and to show your love for what content and what the Rice Elite podcast stands for. So if you guys could do that, take 10 seconds, leave a rating and review on the podcast platform that you're listening on. That would be greatly appreciated. Thank you guys for joining me for another episode of the Rice Elite podcast. I definitely want to thank you guys that continue to come back and listen to episodes and be sure to share this with a friend who you think may enjoy this. I know we've all got hunting buddies, we've all got people at church, we've all got people that we know that may be interested in what the Rise Elite podcast is putting out. So share this with somebody, maybe this week, maybe in the next couple of weeks as we approach hunting season, and let them know what the Rise Elite podcast is all about. 
All right, so my name is Tyler Pruitt. I'm looking forward to sharing another episode with you guys next week. Be sure to click that subscribe button, and I'll see you guys then.